0: So I want us to today to, to enter into Chapter 19 and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and see this very similar to what we saw in Genesis six with the flood account and the destruction of all of life, except for what existed on that ark. And in that, us receive a very hard yet helpful glimpse. At the wrath of God, and I'm going to use a term that you might not be used to, but look at the wrath of God and his freedom to execute rightly judgment upon sinful humanity. God is the most free being in all of the universe, and he will only, by his word, he will only act within his character. God has the freedom to judge sin. In fact, it's right that He does so. And the way that He does it, though it may not seem what you and I would do, and trust me, it's not. It's right. And it's perfect. And it is. Listen, hear me, church. It's good. It's good. Today, I want to begin by providing you with several biblical examples, and and here's what these are going to help us do. Uh, They're going to help us to see from, really from several areas from across Scripture, examples of application that God gives us in His Word that comes in response from chapter 19 of Genesis. Genesis. So we're going to understand that it's possible throughout scripture to use terms like Sodom and Gomorrah and use them to mean different things. And so today as we learn to apply this text, we need to see how God does it throughout his word. And so I'll just give you a few, we'll, we'll begin in Jude 7, you, you don't have to, there's only one chapter there, Jude verse 7, we'll start here, you don't have to flip, Just just listen. The word of God says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 it says, "If the Lord of Hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah." Listen to verse ten. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So here he uses the people. He it's almost a, it's symbolism. You are just like Sodom. You are just like Gomorrah. I will call you likewise. Matthew 10. This is one, and you. this is pretty constant in this portion of the book of Matthew. I'm just going to give you one example. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow. Second Peter chapter two. This is the last example I'll give before we get into our outline. And there'll be several more. This is we read last, last week. I'll read it again in full. Second Peter chapter two, starting in verse four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, Making them, listen church, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is the word of God. I want you to enter in now to Genesis 19. And though our outline will cover from verse one all the way through 29, I'm gonna read for you really where we left off last week. And so we'll pick up kind of Uh, right at the end where we were, around verse 15, and we'll work our way down to verse 29. This is God's word. It says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who were here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And they brought him, and as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and die. Now, do you really think that the Lord would allow that to happen? No. But God, once again, showing kindness and patience with Lot, he says, behold, the city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the land. Picture the scene. He goes and he stands in the place where he interceded, where he prayed for the people. And he looks down. And it says, behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Father, I ask that you would today be so kind. You'd be so powerful in our midst. That you enable us to have eyes to see and ears to hear your word. May we not hear this word and leave with a fear that pushes us away from you. Would we not read this text and see your word and harden our hearts? But God, would you instead do such a work that as we hear, we see your kindness and your patience and your love and your grace and your mercy that is offered to us in the beautiful, in the glorious gospel of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So I want you to open up your outline and follow along with me. And uh, we'll, we'll say it this way, just with the phrase at the beginning, in the light of the reality of God's judgment, let us consider several truths. First, let's consider... Our own wickedness. Now, the people of Sodom were known for their wickedness. You are very aware of this. They were known specifically, uh, typically we we think of their sexual sin. They 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 were known for, even in that, their unnatural lust. We think of that, rightly, because of this passage. So Genesis 19 really pushes us to see them as a sexual and moral people. Chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 13, we read it last week. Says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, they were great sinners against the Lord. So these are people that are known for their wickedness. They they were uh wicked in themselves, and we see this take place. Not only do we see it in their sexual sin. We certainly see it there, but we also see it really in other places as well. Keith brought out uh, a couple weeks ago from the book of Ezekiel, and I'll remind you of this, chapter 16, verse 49, the word of God says, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. This was the guilt of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Now if you read that, that that sounds that sounds typical, doesn't it? That sounds like the norm. It's one thing when you think of a people surrounding a house trying to get to two angels. It's another thing when you think excess of food, haughty, prideful, ignore the poor. That sounds normal. That scares me. But I'll tell you, outside of that passage and the one we've already looked at, we, we really don't need to struggle too much and see in our own wickedness because God's word is more helpful than just that. God's word tells us we are born wicked. Now I realize there's not one of you that came in today and you said, man, I hope he says that. <laughs> like, I, like I get it. Like I don't wanna think about it either. In fact, this is this was already a tough week before Wednesday. Because I was struggling with this text. I mean, who wants to say we're wicked? <laughs> but God's word, by his grace, he tells us what we're like. And whether we want to think it or not, we are born and we it comes straight through Adam. You didn't have to do anything to earn it, you just got it. You were born wicked. You were born wicked, my my sweet daughter Lucy. I hadn't told a Lucy story in a while. I've told some Annie ones. I hadn't told a Lucy. Lu, Lucy's my she's my little theologian, and uh, Lucy loves music. Um, she's she's a sweet little singer. She sings like her daddy. <laughs> if you've heard me sing. You just don't tell her I said that. Okay, she sings like her daddy. But Lucy loves music and she loves specifically to write songs. She really does. Her, her and Lila Blankenship have written some, some awesome songs. And, and really when I say that, they are, they're theologically wonderful. It's, it's kind of strange if you watch their behavior together and then you hear what comes out of their mouth. You think, (laughs) practice what you preach, girls, you know, but uh, they, they, (laughs) they have beautiful, beautiful songs they write. I want to read for you. A song that Ru- that Lucy wrote, and and she she writes, uh, she writes songs, and she gets me or Catherine to write them down. And this is one I had written in my in my notes. And th- this is this is from my five year old daughter. This is with no help from her daddy. Lucy wrote, "God, behold," what five year old uses that? By the way, <laughs> I don't even use it, God. God, behold, I know we are sinners unto death. We are still sinners. Christ, will you behold us again? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I was like, who are you? And and then I was like, Catherine's daughter. That's who you are, a little genius. But y'all, that, that's, that's what she knows. And it's not because, I promise, like when you come in our house, we don't have like the flood drawn on the wall or anything. Like it's, it's not like that. Like this is my little girl understanding what we are actually like. And you know, if you open up your eyes to see yourself, you know, this is true. For us to understand and be able to rightly apply this text and understand God's judgment and to consider his judgment, we must first see our own wickedness. We must. Because if not, you know what we do? We point to Sodom. Don't we? We point to Sodom. When I make that point, I also want to say, and I believe we get freedom here in God's word. Please don't walk out of here only taking this statement. Don't take it out of context. But in Scripture, God gives us the freedom to call wicked things wicked and wicked acts wicked. And we live in a culture that says you cannot do that. But I want you to hear this this guy say, but I understand my own wickedness. And if I point, let my pointing be out of love and mercy and kindness for another. For us to understand God's judgment, we must understand our own wickedness. Romans 3, there's no one does good. No one does good. No one's righteous. No one does good. Like you you just don't. You don't do good. Romans five. Sin entered the world. How? Well, it just came through Adam. We were born, we got it. How did righteousness enter? Through the Son of God. Through one man sin entered. Through one man, righteousness entered. Give you a couple of statements that might help you a little bit. This is actually I got a little help from Jared and Kyle. One of them is Jared's statement. One of them is Kyle's. I won't tell you which one's which, but here we go. There's a couple ways to think of this. The source of our wicked ways is that we were all born with wicked hearts. The source of our wicked ways is is that we were born with wicked hearts. I like this one. Sin is not primarily an action, but it's a disposition. Sin is not primarily an action, but it's a disposition. We we see that really from the the text that Pastor Keith read earlier. And it's one that our college students are are studying right now and going through the book of Mark. Uh, Listen to the word of God again. I'm going to read this passage from Mark 7, starting in verse 14. But it says, and he called the people to him again. And he said, hear me all of you and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And you'll, you'll remember the, the saying, the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they're, you know, why do your disciples not wash their hands when they eat? And I always want Jesus to be like, I don't know, but you know, like, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want, why, why wouldn't you wash your hands when you eat? But anyway, he, he says it's gross, but it doesn't plague them spiritually. Okay. And so listen to me, he gets them together and he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, that's what defiles him. And when he had entered the house and left his people, his disciples did exactly what I would do. And they come back and they say, I still don't get it. Explain it to me again. And he said, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it's expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man. It's out of your heart. Listen comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they, they defile a person. See, you and I know like we're capable. We, We have the capability to commit any grievous sin. Like, it's literally the grace of God. Like, I, I could can, I can give you list after list after list of the grace of God that's upon my life. And from before I was a Christian, who my parents are, where I went to school, what I did, how he protected me, how I met my wife, I I can go through list and list and understand God, listen, God has protected me and he's protected each one of us because you're here. But before we can talk about Sodom, before we can go any further, we, we gotta understand our own wickedness. Secondly, in light of the reality of God's judgment, uh, let's consider also our own suppression of truth. Suppression of truth. This, this comes, and it's very easy to see in the, in the Scriptures. You'll remember last week we saw it. The angels say, tell everybody to get out. Tell everybody to get out of this city, for God's going to overthrow it. And they did what? They said, oh, this is a joke. You must be kidding The angels tell Lot and his family, get out of here, God's going to overthrow the city, and they just hang out. Suppression of truth is so dangerous. It's easy to see here in Genesis 19. It might not be easy to see on 2210 University Boulevard East in this room this morning. But it's something that we struggle with. I, I might ask you a question. In what ways do we suppress God's Word? In what ways do we suppress truth? In what ways do you? In what ways do I? Suppression of truth is is actually one of the most natural things that we can ever do in life. Romans chapter 1, when talking about really the natural man, the natural heart, the one that's born wicked, this is how that heart's described. Verse 18, chapter one of Romans, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his external power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, I, I, you probably get what is being said here in the text. But if you don't, I'll give you the very, very simple uh, breakdown of it. And it's this, is that God reveals things to us. God reveals truth to us. For you in this room, he reveals to you special revelation, revelation from his word, word that he has specifically written down for us to hear. And suppression is when we hear something, we see something, and we recognize that it's true, but then we act as if it is not we take what we know and we say we're not going to heed to that. Instead, we are going to think this way. We're going to do this. That's suppressing truth. And so in a, in a very, the reality is this, is that you suppress truth every time you hear it, you're convicted by it and you don't respond to it appropriately. So like as James might say, it's like God's words like a mirror. You look in the mirror, you see what you're like. What happens when you walk away and you do nothing about it? You suppress truth. He says that's hearing only, not being a doer. But for you and I, there, there, are, there are subjects and there are realities that we may know about God. In fact, your struggle may be the justice of God. It may be judgment. It may be the wrath of God. It may be hell. And you would not be the first person that's had a struggle with uh, such a subject as the wrath of God. In fact, more than likely, all in the room have struggled. But yet the truth is that God must punish sin. And God is perfectly right in doing so. And so for us to suppress any truth, specifically today, the truth of that God will punish my sin is destructive, it's deadly. And so as we watch these people here in Genesis 19 say, "Uh, are you kidding? This is a joke, that can't be. You know, think about what we know from Ezekiel. They probably say, we got plenty of food, we got plenty of stuff. Everything's all good. And yet it wasn't all good. God's word tells us it ain't all good. And for us to suppress is deadly. So just even in thinking about this this statement, maybe ask a couple more questions. When do we in our lives forget to thank and honor God? I mean, if you're like me, that's, that probably is a little more convicting. I mean, there's all kinds of gifts that he has just provided for me. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. How many times do I thank the Father? How many times do I honor him? How many times do I live in response to his gifts to me? What about when we look to creation for what only the creator can provide? That's idolatry. But is that not what we have done time after time, day after day? We take money and we think it can give us what we need. We take relationships, this can give us what we need. We take stuff, this can give us what we need. Only to find out it didn't give me what I needed. God's telling us don't suppress the truth. Receive it. Receive it today. I want you to see, in light of the judgment of God, let's consider not only our own wickedness or the suppression of truth, but also our attachment to this world. I, I think this may be the the most shocking part of Genesis 19 for me. It's it's kind of it's kind of like in I remember I, I watched the show 24. I don't know if you, if any of you, did anybody watch 24? You know, there was a lot of you, if you finished it, you have something wrong with you a little bit, you know, like, like it's, it's the same thing happening every time. And you're like, Jack's going to live, you know, like it's, it's, it's crazy. And it scares me because I'm like, this is probably what life's really like. But anyway, I remember watching the first season and you know, they don't hold back much and, uh, it, you know, it gets to the end and, and his wife is taken in custody and, and, and you think, well, surely his wife's going to live because there's no way they would take her from this show. Season ends with what? They take his wife. I remember being shocked. How can a show do this? I leave something a lot more appropriate than 24 and look at Genesis 19 and I think surely his family is going to be safe. Surely, in all of this destruction, at least the family will get out. And yet we see a scene that should bother us. It's towards the end there, verse 26, it says, But but Lot's wife, who was behind him? She looked back. Didn't say she went back, she looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. From what we understand, she was attached to her home. She was attached to the city that was even being destroyed. She was doing what, I know I've said this several times, but what you and I would do. She was looking back and saying, but that's my, but no, how could he? That's what she was doing. She just wanted it. She wanted her house. She wanted what she had gained. She wanted her stuff. And yet, in the freedom of God, in the freedom of His judgment, He rightly took her life. I want to read for for you once again an example from God's Word, giving us application. This is in Luke 17. Listen to the scripture. Starting in verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah. You'll see another connection to Noah and then then back to Lot. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Don't suppress this. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It was normal life until it wasn't. You see? Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed? Now, I had a a, a different, but in a sense, similar thing happen this past week. Had a, there was a lot going on, you know, and and Monday and Tuesday we're studying, we're working, we're doing our doing our thing in the in the office and preparing, uh, but I also had something else going on. I was trying to buy a truck and I did by the way I bought a truck Catherine said it's only so long a Duncanville man can drive a Prius so it's uh it's out of here now so so yeah if you want one call me I got it okay but but uh but bought bought a truck and so you know it was I I get something in my mind and so like I want to you know, get it accomplished, and so it was, like, on my to-do list for at least a month, and so I was just, like, got to do this, got to do that, got to go. So, like, I'm literally kind of, it was, like, half and half. Like, I'm, like, concerned about important things, and then there I was concerned about, you know, am I going to find the deal that I'm looking for? So, I was calling Kent. I called Kent a few times and asked him what they got at Toyota. I called. I was, I was just bugging people about it, and then Wednesday morning happened, and I get a text from my sweet friend who I see in the back now, Jennifer, and, uh, that, that Bruce had a heart attack. And they were on their way to the hospital. And so we know the way this, the rest of the, the story has gone and the, and the week has been. And From that moment, I, I, had, I had bought the truck Tuesday afternoon, didn't pick it up until Wednesday afternoon. Let me just tell you, it didn't matter a whole lot to me Wednesday when I went to pick up that truck. It is a perspective, perspective that we need it. And I know that seems silly, but, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. How things that shouldn't matter are mattering. Until we realize the proper perspective when we see, man, we're missing the whole picture. We're missing how precious the life is. We're missing how precious truth is. And God's word today is leading us to say, there's nothing more important than what we are believing about this word. To the extent that we don't believe, to the extent that we suppress, to the extent that we shy away will be the extent that we attach ourselves to what we see. It'll be the extent of how we attach ourselves to this world. And as many blessings and gifts that God gives us here in this world, they are not to be our God. They are not to be what rule our hearts. He alone is. See, this world is good, but for only one reason. It's because God blesses and God gives and God provides in it. Because he created it. The moment we take our eyes off of him, That's the time when we lead ourselves down a road of destruction. So verse 31 tells us in back to Luke 17, it says, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Listen to verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Oh, how we need a reminder to not be attached to what fades. To appreciate what fades for the gift that they may be but to focus our heart and our life on what can never be taken away. In light of the reality of God's judgment, let us also consider our only place to flee. You see there in Genesis 19, the judgment is coming. And the angels tell Lot to flee, flee to the mountains. He doesn't think he can go there and be safe. And so they say, okay, sure, you can flee to that little city. But what about us? In light of our own wickedness, in light of our own suppression, in light of our own attachment to this world, where do we flee? And people, God's word is so clear. Our only place to flee is Christ Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's the only place to flee. In the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The only place for us to go. To give what I believe, if KJ was here, what KJ would say is, is this. Is that the son had to become our Sodom. For what? For us to be set free. For us to have a place to take refuge. For us to have a place of security. And not just that, for us to have a place of family and kingdom and a home. Jesus Christ became, the scripture says, our sin. So that we might become the very righteousness of God. See, as I've reminded you before, I will remind you again, your sin and my sin must be judged. Like it will be judged. Like as sure as he judged Sodom, he will judge your sin. And he will judge my sin. My sin will not go unpunished. No one's sin will go unpunished. But for the one who sits, who rests, In Christ Jesus, our sin does not fall upon our own head, but it fell upon the son as he died in our place. And our life is now given as the son of God rose from the grave. And as we have looked to him and received, see the the beauty of the gospel is this is fleeing is looking to flee is to receive. To flee from God's wrath is just to simply receive the goodness of the son. It's to take it like a gift, like he just hands it to you. He says, if you'll receive this gift, it's yours. This is your refuge. This is your place to flee. This is your way out. This is your way, not only out of destruction, but into the family of God. Just receive it. Just receive the son. I don't understand how someone can suppress that and not receive. I don't get it. And if you're tempted to ignore what's being said today, if you're tempted to push it away, I tell you. And I ask God, God, please enable them to receive your gift of grace today. Just to look at Christ. Last place I want us to go today, in light of the reality of God's judgment, let us consider our personal response to God's grace. Do I suppress the truth that I've heard or, or do I savor it? Am I willing to come to him? If I, if I don't know him, if I've never uh, received him, am I, am I willing to receive him today? Do I desire to receive him? If you do, literally, just look to it. Look to him. He's here. Receive him. If I've been tempted to suppress truth today for the things that he's doing in my life, thank him today. Thank him in response. Thank him for his patience. Thank him for his kindness and his grace and his mercy upon us. Thank him. Our personal response to God's grace. Let's remember the mission, the urgency of the great commission. That that there is an entire world that must hear to receive. Who's going to take them the message? Who's going to proclaim to them, you can be reconciled to God? For the word of the Lord says, today is a day of salvation. Will we take the message? We must respond appropriately to God's grace. So I ask Kyle if, if you will come up. And, and as Kyle comes, today our, our response when we think of and we consider the very judgment of God, is our response is to turn and look at the grace of God, to look at the gospel of God, to look at what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. If you have never believed, flee to him today. If you're suppressing, flee to him today. Turn and look, turn and receive the beautiful word of God.